by their fruits shall ye know them. Let me just give you a little bit of uh, background on how I'm, why I'm here tonight, because as you know, it's normally Phil on Monday nights. Well, Phil with a, took a, a trip with a few friends this past weekend, and on their way back, he realized that he wasn't going to be home in time to present this evening. And so he called me up because he knew I had this in some sort of a presentation already. And uh, so, and, and it was about an hour long, which I think probably fit his timeline. And so he said, he just asked me, Rob, I'm not going to be back in time. Would you mind stepping in for me tonight? And of course, I, I said, yes, I'd be happy to. And then I got a little bit worried after I said yes, uh, just because I only had a couple of hours to get it you know, from a Word document into a PowerPoint presentation. And I, but I managed to get it in. So it's not a great PowerPoint presentation. It is what it is. Uh, the other thing I'm a little bit worried about, number one, I, I'm always worried that, uh, about my own inadequacies, right? Uh, when you get this, some of the presenters we have on here are outstanding. And uh, sometimes we, I just get nervous that I want to measure up as best I can. But the, the, the real concern that I have is this is a negative topic. Let's, there's there's no, uh, no way to get around that. But this is the topic he asked me to do. And so we're going we're gonna to do it. Now, the one thing I don't want to happen is I don't want this because we are talking about the fruits of false prophets today. And I do not want this to become just a bash fest because that does nobody any good whatsoever. Okay. I'd rather make it more of a discussion on discernment. And so at the end, if, if we have time for questions and if we go through questions, I'd rather talk a little bit more on discernment here in these last days, then continue the bashing, if that makes sense. So let's start in. Um, let's start in with the presentation. And um, again, it's entitled, By Their Fruits Shall You Know Them. And I want to, I, I, it looks like I have a little mistake here. I want to just start out going to Luke 12, and that is, verses 51 to 53. So starting out on a good note already, if you can't tell. Luke 12, 51 and 53. And this is, uh, this is Christ. And he just poses a question. Suppose ye that I'm come to give peace on earth? I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth thou shall be five in one household divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against the, her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's what this topic does. It divides people. And that's, that hurts. That hurts. Uh, many of us have families that are divided over these topics. And... We all know that there will be a great division inside the church. There'll be a great division in the world. We can't help it, right? That, that is going to happen. So let's see. Uh, 
Here we go. I'm messing up already. I'm going to uh, share that screen again. I clicked the wrong button there. Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about discernment and it is just difficult. It is really difficult. So my, here's my thoughts. It's hard to gain scriptural knowledge. I mean, it takes a ton of time. And I know that before I began to start, you know, before I began waking up, I'd spend 15 minutes in the scriptures a day and call it good, right? You're not going to have a, a great scriptural knowledge if that's what your approach is. Personal inspiration, revelation is hard. I still haven't figured that one out. There are times when I have, I've had full sentences and paragraphs flowing into my mind. And there's times when the heavens are just silent. And I think experience is invaluable as well because experience gives you opposition, right? And that opposition helps you to discern just naturally. So somehow, and there's probably more involved, but I think a combination of these things help us discern. But I, I think we have to have a pretty darn strong handle of the scriptures, and we have to take what we're learning, what we're hearing from whoever, from our ecclesiastical leaders to the Lord. But first, I think we've got to compare it to the scriptures and see if it makes sense there first. So let's read through Doctrine and Covenants 123, 7 through 15. And there's some pretty good discussions right now going on in telegram that uh that are on this very this very topic okay how why why do we need to talk about the negative stuff and shoot let's see okay well, verse seven in doctrine and covenants 123 says it is an imperative duty that we owe to god to angels, if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, we need to, everyone needs to mute themselves. I'm not great at um, Zoom. I'm much better at Microsoft Teams because that's what we use at work. And so um, I'm not sure I know how to mute everybody but uh, everyone myself. So I'll, if, if it gets loud, I'll just uh, say so and have you mute yourself. All right, starting again in verse 7, Doctrine and Covenants 123. It is imperative, an imperative duty that we owe to God, to angels with whom we shall be brought to stand, and also to ourselves, to our wives and children, who have been made to bow down with grief, sorrow, and care under the most damning hand of murder, tyranny, and oppression, supported and urged on, and upheld by the influence of that spirit, which has so strongly riveted the creeds of the fathers. So that's what we're talking about. The spirit that has introduced the creeds or the traditions of the fathers who have inherited lies upon the hearts of the children and filled the world with confusion and has been growing stronger and stronger and is now the very mainspring of all corruption. 
So creeds and traditions, that influence or, or the origins of that, um, of those traditions are what cause the very mainspring of all corruption and the whole earth groans under the weight of its iniquity. It is an iron yoke. It is a strong band. They are the very handcuffs and chains and shackles and fetters of hell. Therefore, it is an imperative duty that we owe not only to our wives and children, but to the widows and the fatherless, whose husbands and fathers have been murdered under its iron hand, which dark and blackening deeds are enough to make hell itself shudder and to stand aghast and pale, and the hands of the very devil to tremble and palsy. And also, it is an imperative duty that we owe to all the rising generation and to all the pure in heart, all the pure in heart, those that are truly seeking, is our duty. For there are, are many yet on the earth among all sects, parties, and denominations who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, and who are only kept from the truth because they know not where to find it. That includes the church that we all, or the majority of us came from, right? We are included in those who are blinded by the subtle craftiness of men. Therefore, that we should waste and wear out our lives in bringing to light all the hidden things of darkness wherein we know them, and they are truly manifest from heaven. These, these should then be attended to with great earnestness. So this is not me saying that we should share these negative things. This is the Lord telling us we have to, with logic, with reason, show what the scriptures say and compare that to the things that we're hearing in the world right now and in the church right now. Verse 15, let no man count them as small things. For there is much which lieth in futurity pertaining to the saints, which depends on these things. So if we don't do this, then there are, there are things in the future that are critical to us bringing to light the hidden things of darkness that we just talked about. And so, unfortunately, yes, it's a negative topic. And I don't want to be known as the guy that just bashes on my first Zoom cast, but it is what it is. So um, let's move on. Let's read what's on the screen here. Okay, this is from Joseph Fielding Smith. Okay. But let's see what he's referring to the standard works here. He says, it makes no difference what is written or what anyone has said if what has been said is in conflict with what the Lord has revealed. We can set it aside. My words and the teaching of any other member of the church, high or low, if they do not square with the revelations, we do not accept them. We need not accept them. So we're going to learn tonight how to take words from current prophets and apostles and presidents and compare them with the scriptures. And then um, Harold B. Lee said, the scriptures are the standard by which to measure truth. And then skipping a, that next little phrase, he, he, sent, he then says, we call these standard church works because they are the standard. Okay, then the bold in blue. If it is not in the standard works, you may well assume that it is speculation. It is man's own personal opinion. To put it another way, if it contradicts what is in the scriptures, you may know by that same token that it is not true. Now, here's the problem, right? 
I've been writing sacrament talks and lessons for years and years, and I taught a whole lot of false doctrine over the years, right? And we've all done that. So just because you throw a scripture in there and you think you know what it means doesn't mean you really know what it means. And, but something's happening now, as you all know, there is an awakening happening. And it's our opportunity to be involved in the work and to help assist others awaken. And it's just my idea that we need to do so with the scriptures, with logic, with reason, with the spirit, and uh, that'll help us. So I think what we've come to is a formula of, for failure. You know, it wasn't until the 1950s that I think that we began to call all general authorities or all the quorum and the 12 and above prophets, seers, and revelators. So before that, before President McKay, everyone referred to Joseph as the prophet. The president of the church was referred to as the president. Okay, so at that point, some, some guy from the Deseret News wrote a news article that said, well, now that we've got a new president, a new prophet, Syrian revelator sustained, you know, we can, we can basically relax. He's, he's going to do the job for us, right? So from that point on, all the... Quorum of the Twelve have been referred to as prophets, seers, and revelators. And, and hence, we get the, the phrase, follow the prophet, right? He'll do all the work for us, and we, you know, we, we just have to listen to what he says and do anything that he says blindly in faith. That, that's a problem, right? We know that. Then we get the Correlation Committee involved, right? The Correlation Committee, I think, was at the time of Harold B. Lee. And Harold B. Lee himself said, oh, man, if this thing goes through, it will cause, I'm not sure if he said that, you know, a complete apostasy of the church, but he had negative feelings toward the correlation committee because it's a group that gets together and decides on what the doctrines are going to be and what the correlated material to produce every year for the church is. A group's doing that. And of sure, it has to go through approvals, but we've just got layers away from a true prophet, seer, and revelator creating content for the church members every year. Then later on, more recently, we should, we should all be able to remember that they, all conference talks at one point, or excuse me, all sacrament talks at one point were mandated, or, or I should say heavily recommended that we emphasize conference talks, right? And that ha that's not 100% the case. And then now we've got Come Follow Me where they're telling us, you know, they've dumbed down the, the Come Follow Me program so much. We don't get scriptures anymore. We don't study the scriptures very much. We don't know the scriptures as members. And if we don't know the scriptures as members, we have no standard to judge by. We have no benchmark. And, and so lately what we've really received, in Isaiah's words, is just vomit and excrement right? That's half digested truths from some revelation, you know, two centuries ago that are just regurgitated over and over again for conference talks. We don't know the scriptures. So how in the world are we expected to discern truth if, if 
we, if we don't know the scriptures. All right, we also have, you know, some, some built-in fallacies inside the church, such as if the Book of Mormon is true, which is a fruit of Joseph, a true fruit, then we know that Joseph Smith is a prophet. And if we know that Joseph Smith is a true prophet, then the church that he restored is true, and that's another fruit. And if that church that he restored is true, then that must mean that the LDS church is true today. That's where we fall off the rails, right? Because number one, and unfortunately we don't know our own church history either, because Joseph restored the church of Christ, right? And that is not the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints today. In fact, we should be called the Church of the Latter-day Saints today. When the church fell in 1834 in May, Christ took his name out of the church. We know that. You all know that. And that's documented in the church, but it's hidden. You won't find that very easily on the church website, right? So Christ took his name out of the church, and the new name of the church became the Church of the Latter-day Saints. And that is, that's not the Church of Christ, right? Because the Church of Christ is the terrestrial order. And what we are left with today is a remnant of the telestial order. So, so that's an argument that we can't make. And, and so logic is tough. There's a lot of emotions built into a lot of, you know, many of these arguments that we have or these discussions that we have with our family members. Because, heck, I, I, I had a testimony 10 years ago of the church. I had a testimony 30, 30 years ago. That's about when I gained my testimony. And, and so, we, you know, we have this built-in testimony inside our hearts. And not everything that we, were, that we were given was wrong, and not everything that we were given was necessarily right. We were given truth and, and line upon line and he, until we are, here we are today. And hopefully, again, we are all continually waking up. So what I want to do is jump to Helaman 13. Man, I, for years, the last two or three years, Helaman 13 has just been a wonderful example for me of really what a true prophet is. And so we're going to start, I think we'll just start in verse 1 and just read. And I have, uh, you know, some bullet points on the screen that we'll get to here and there. Um, but let's try to pull out what Samuel's really trying to, to convey to the people. And also let's talk about how the people react. Now let's remember who his audience is. It's the Nephites. We know that Samuel is a Lamanite, and we know that, Nephites at this point consisted of um, Nephites and Lamanites, uh, but probably mostly, you know, white or fair-skinned individuals. Um, so let's just jump in. Verse 1, And now it came to pass in the 80 and 6th year the Nephites did still remain in wickedness, yea, in, the great, in great wickedness, while the Lamanites did observe strictly to keep the commandments of God according to the law of Moses. So we've got wickedness among the Nephites. And it came to pass that in the 
this same year, there was one Samuel, a Lamanite. Now, when I read that every time, I think, yeah, there was this one guy, Samuel, right? Nobody knew who he was. Nobody really knew where he came from. You're just some guy that came into the city. It says, came into the land of Zarahemla and began to preach unto the people. And it came to pass that he did preach many days repentance unto the people, and they did cast him out, and he was about to return to his own land. So he was rejected, unknown by the Nephites. But behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him, that he should return again and prophesy unto the people whatsoever things should come into his heart. The voice of the Lord came unto him. So we're talking today about discerning true versus false prophets. How often have you heard in general conference statements that, that, that reflect, thus saith the Lord, sentiments? I, I don't think I've ever heard one. I can't remember hearing one. And we just read here, the voice of the Lord came unto him. And Samuel shared that. Verse 4, and it came to pass that they would not suffer that he should enter into the city. Therefore he went up and got upon the wall thereof, and stretched forth his hand and cried with a loud voice and prophesied unto the people whatsoever things the Lord put into his heart. So let me skip forward on the slide here. Continuing in verse 5, and he said unto them, Behold, I, Samuel, a Lamanite, do speak the words of the Lord, which he doth put into my heart. And behold, he hath put it into my heart to say unto this people that the sword of justice hangeth over this people. And 400 years pass not away, save the sword of justice falleth upon, upon this people. Now, one thing that I am amazed at here is Samuel begins to give dates. Nobody in our day has given dates, at least not yet. And anyone who's tried has been wrong. So that's pretty remarkable. Verse 6, yea, heavy destruction awaiteth this people, and it surely cometh unto this people, and nothing save this, um, can save this people, save it be repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's your first clue uh, that who, who Samuel represents, right? Faith, he's, he's teaching the doctrine of Christ. Who surely shall come into the world and shall suffer many things and shall be slain for his, his people. Now, this next verse, verse 7, And behold, an angel of the Lord hath declared it unto me. Okay, when was the last time we heard that in conference? I never once have heard that. And he did bring glad tidings to my soul. If you have not listened to Mark Curtis's uh, presentation last week on Wednesday night, it's, it's listed, uh, I think it's called Fantastic. Okay, so we're here talking about glad tidings, doctrine of Christ. Middle of verse 7, and behold, I sent unto you to declare it unto you also, that ye might, that ye might have glad tidings, but behold, ye would not receive me. Again, they're rejecting him. So on the screen, it says, Samuel prophesied of the people's destruction, a highly offensive message to a religious society who assumed they were righteous. He boldly declares that he had conversed with an angel. He spoke prophetically, thus saith the Lord, over and over again. Okay, let's continue in verse 8. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, because of the hardness of the hearts of the people of the Nephites, except they repent, I will take away my word from them. 
and I will withdraw my spirit from them, and I will suffer them no longer, and I will turn their hearts, the hearts of their brethren, against them. Man, that's good uh, advice for us today because we will see hearts turn against the true believers very quickly. We will even see the hearts uh, or the many turn against all Christians very, very soon. Verse 9, and 400 years shall not pass away before I will cause that they shall be smitten. Yea, I will visit them with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence. Okay, the sword, we know that we've got great wars coming ahead of us. Famine and pestilence, that's, ahead in, that's in our future as well. Verse 10, yea, I will visit them in my fierce anger, and there shall be those of the fourth generation. Now, that's critical. Because we're in the fourth generation now from Doctrine and Covenants 124 when the Lord rejected the church with their dead and he said, I will reject them to the third and fourth generation. That's why we're just now coming out of that or that's now why we are beginning to awaken. Again, verse 10, Yea, I will visit them in my fierce anger, and there shall be those of the fourth generation who shall live of your enemies to behold your utter destruction. And this shall surely come, except you repent, saith the Lord. And those of the fourth generation shall visit your destruction, or shall visit your destruction, yeah. But if you will return and repent unto the Lord your God, I will return away my anger, saith the Lord. Yea, thus saith the Lord, Blessed are they who will repent and turn unto me, but woe unto him that repenteth not. Yea, woe unto this great city of Zarahemla. We might say Salt Lake City. For behold, it is because of those who are righteous that it is saved. Yea, woe unto this great city. For I perceive, saith the Lord, that there are many, yea, even the more part of this great city that will harden their hearts against me, saith the Lord. I expect the same to happen. All our brothers and sisters will harden their hearts against true believers. Let's just hope that we are categorized among the true believers. There's no guarantee that we are. Even though we're here tonight and we're awakening, there's no guarantee that we will be among those true believers. But blessed are they who will repent. For them will I spare. But behold, if it were not for the righteous who are in this great city, behold, I would cause that fire should come down out of heaven and destroy it. But behold, it is for the righteous sake that it is spared. But behold, the time cometh, saith the Lord, that when you shall cast out the righteous from among you, and that is coming, then shall you be right for destruction. Yea, woe, woe be unto this great city because of the wickedness and abominations which are in her. Again, Samuel boldly preached strong repentance to a people who didn't realize they were wicked because of their religious traditions. I go to church every day. I attend the temple. I do my home teaching. I am righteous. He's preaching to the people at church headquarters, isn't he? Pretty similar to what we're involved in today. Okay, let's skip down to verses 21 and 22. Behold ye, the people of this great city, and hearken unto my words. Yea, hearken unto the words which the Lord saith. 
For behold, he saith that you're cursed because of your riches. <clears throat> and, and also are your riches cursed because you have set your hearts upon them. And if not, hearken unto the words of him who gave them unto you. <clears throat> so if we think about that, there are many, not just in the church, but many today who are, who are just very comfortable in their riches. There is no need to look any further. Our riches will take care of us. That's the carnal security from 2 Nephi 28. Verse 22, you, you do not remember the Lord your God in these things with which he hath blessed you, but you do always remember your riches, not to thank your, the Lord your God for them. Yea, your hearts are not drawn out unto the Lord, but they do swell unto great pride, unto boasting, and unto great swelling, envyings, strife, malice, persecutions, and murders, and all manner of iniquities. And I put a note on the bottom there. If you think murders and all manner of iniquities don't exist at the highest levels today, then you haven't done your homework. Those things will come out. Nephi said that in the last days, everything will come out, good and bad. And that's one reason why we're waking up, is because we're seeing those things come out. Now, Nephi, it's interesting, Nephi uses the word revealed. Those things will be revealed. But when he says revealed, it doesn't necessarily mean that a prophet has to reveal it. I might see it on the internet. I might see it in the news, right? Just reveal means to uncover. We think it means revelation, and it can mean that, right? But it doesn't have to mean that. All right, let's, let's jump down to verse 24 now. Yea, woe unto this people because of this time which has arrived, that you do cast out the prophets, and do mock them, and do cast stones at them, and do slay them, and do all manner of iniquity unto them, even as they did of old time. Now, we're not there yet, are we? At least we're not there to the point where they're, slay, they're trying to slay the prophets. Who are the prophets? I'm not going to venture out and talk about that, but um, certainly I would not include myself in that. I would not include many of the uh, individuals who speak to us on the Zoom cast, but there are, there are a few that I might, a few that I might. Verse 25, and now when ye talk, ye say, if our days had been in the days of our fathers of old, we would not have slain the prophets. We would not have stoned them and cast them out. Behold, ye are worse than they. For as the Lord liveth, if a prophet come among you and declareth unto you the word of the Lord, which testifieth of your sins and iniquities, you're angry with him and cast him out and seek all manner of ways to destroy him. What does that mean, to destroy him? They shame you. They excommunicate you. Yea, you will say that he is a false prophet and that he is a sinner and of the devil because he has test, he testifieth that your deeds are evil. Now, interesting here, the righteous always assume, or excuse me, the, the religious always assume they are righteous. Unfortunately, they seldom never are, right? So when a true messenger comes declaring that they are unrighteous, the tendency is to get mad. Think back to Lehi. Lehi hears those prophets 
And there, were, and there came many prophets into the land, right? Jeremiah was one of them. Lehi was pricked in his heart, and he had to discern for himself. Lehi didn't start out as a true prophet. Lehi started out as an individual just like you and I. And he studied, and he prayed, and he realized, holy smokes, I didn't know the scriptures. I, don't have a, I didn't have a good benchmark before to judge by. All right, see, why don't we stop there, at least, um, actually, no, we'll, we'll continue on. Verse 27, but behold, if a man shall come among you and, say, and shall say, do this, and there is no iniquity, do that, and, you, and ye shall not suffer. Yea, he will say, walk after the pride of your own hearts. Yea, walk after the pride of your eyes, and do whatsoever your heart desireth. And if a man shall come among you and say this, you will receive him and say that he is a prophet. So the ones that speak hard things, we throw them out. The ones that uh, tend to speak easy words to us, right? They, they uh, soothing messages, right? That's the definition of a soothsayer. One who speaks soothing words to our ears. We like those messages. Okay? Uh, but the false prophets, they're unwilling to say hard things because we know that the people will reject them. Verse 28, yea, you will lift him up, that false prophet, and you will give him, give unto him of your substance. Yea, you will give unto him of your gold and of your silver, and you will clothe him in costly apparel. And because he speaketh flattering words unto you, and he saith that all is well, isn't that interesting? All is well in Zion. Then you will not find fault with him. Now, when we talk about giving money to him, it doesn't necessarily mean that we give him money on a street corner, but we're going to give him money to his cause, whatever that is. And many of us have done that, right? Many, many of us have paid thousands of dollars in tithing over the years. And we're coming to find that a lot of the words were soothe, soothing words. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. And I, I just want to tell you, it was about almost three years ago. And I started to awaken to the possibility that the top leaders of the LDS church were not, maybe not prophets, seers, and revelators. And I thought, can that be true? Can that be true? I do not want that to be true because I looked up to these guys. I idolized them. Let's just admit it. I idolized them. And I, I just found, I, first off, I dove into the scriptures immediately and started to, to, to search and search and search to find evidence if there would be false prophets within the church in the last days. And guess what? I found an enormous amount of evidence that, there would, that they would come from within the church. So, but at this point, I have evidence in the scriptures, but mentally I did not want to, I didn't want that to be so. And I mourned, I, it might've been for a whole year. It broke my heart. It broke my heart to, to think that, that these men that I idolized for so long 
might not be true prophets, true messengers. But I didn't want to be like that Joseph Smith quote, right? Where we fly to pieces like glass when we come across any doctrine that doesn't substantiate our false traditions. And so I had to let it sit and percolate a little bit inside me. And after a while, I just realized, look, I want Jesus Christ more than I want a prophet. I want truth more than I want the arm of flesh. And I just had to accept the fact that it is what it is. And it was prophesied. And now, not only was I convinced then, but I found from the scriptures, I found more and more and more evidence. In fact, just yesterday um, on Telegram, um, someone posted, uh, they've got a website, I testify, I being E-Y-E, testify. And they came out with some great evidence found in Doctrine and Covenants 85 and 86 that shows that it's going to come right from the apostles. And um, the, the apostasy comes right from the apostles. And so there's, there, there will be more coming out as well. I'm sure of it. Okay, let's change gears a little bit. Um, I've got the scripture here on the screen, so we don't need to go there because I don't think we're going to have enough time. But it's, this is 1 Corinthians 4, 10 through 14. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul's description of a true servant. And let's try, as we're reading it, let's think of the servants or, the, you know, the, the prophets, seers, and revelators that, uh, that we have always considered such. Okay, so Paul says that a true servant is, says we are fools for Christ's sake. In other words, a true prophet or a true servant is a fool for Christ's sake. He is despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. They don't even have a place to live. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things under this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. And I think, in fact, I just had a, a uh, co-worker tell me today who has built many homes, or I should say several homes for general authorities, typically second homes. And not all of them are even among the top 15. A lot of them are 70s. And he says many of them were $7 million homes, second homes, cabins. Okay? That's not what I'm reading from Paul. If you're spending all your time as a true servant, you're teaching every single day. That's all you do. And you're getting by because of the grace of God. People are feeding you because you're in their homes teaching them, and they're grateful for it. Acts 20, verses 29 through 30. Again, it's Paul. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you among the flock, among, among those that are believers, not sparing the flock, and also of your, of your own selves shall men arise. So right from among you, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. 
the warnings are there. So what is uh what does Doctrine and Covenants 9-7 tell us? I've got it here for us. This is talking about how we discern. But behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind. How do we do that? Through the study of the scriptures. We compare the, the, the so-called, the, the, the potential prophet's fruits, his words, to the word of God. Then you must take it. You must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Therefore, you shall feel that it is right. So I want to just mention a couple of things here. First off, how long does it take to study it out in your mind? I think that can take potentially a couple of minutes. But I think the majority of the time, we're looking at days, weeks, months, years. If you're going to get a good handle on the scriptures, that's not coming in six months. Okay, you could do pretty well in a year if you were super diligent. But that's how you study it out in your mind. And after that, then you take it to the Lord and ask him if it's right. You should probably already know the answer. Okay, the Lord expects us to put in our part. If we don't, I don't, I don't think he's just going to give us the answer because we haven't done our part. We, we, he expects that opposition. The opposition is what makes us grow. There must be an opposition in all things. And if it is right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. What is he talking about? He's talking about a baptism of fire. Now, I'll be honest. I didn't receive my first baptism of fire until two years ago. And it, and I had been on this journey for eight years. It started with, with you know, getting involved with emergency preparedness. It went into the, the visions and dreams of others, which is not a great way to get started, but that's that, that was my journey. It then got into the study of the, of the Book of Mormon, and then I just realized I got to get in. I got to know truth. I'm all, I need to be all about truth. And it wasn't after, until after I had come to my own conclusion, quite honestly, about the brethren that I had my first baptism of fire over two years ago, barely over two years ago, if I remember correctly. And I was in the middle of a uh, Sunday school lesson. I'm the teacher. And I'm getting a, a burning feeling in my chest. And it was, and it, it was, it was a baptism of fire. And I, and I had maybe felt it for a few days, lightly, but we were talking about it. We were talking about the burning in the bosom, not this scripture, but someone brought it up. And I realized, holy smokes, that's what's happening to me. And I didn't even know it. So hopefully maybe sometime on a future Zoomcast, I got a whole history I'd love to share with you about that and, and a few other things. But uh, even recognizing those things can be difficult. I was totally, uh, the, the first time I felt it, I was 
I was I, I thought it was something entirely different than what it actually was. It's kind of a funny story when you really when you really hear it, but that's a discussion for another day. All right, so we're going to start here. We're not going to read all these scriptures, okay, Mosiah? But we're going to now go into the part where we compare the fruits of the the brethren to the scriptures. The first three scriptures that you see on your screen there all deal with money. And they all say that we don't, in fact, that last one, Alma, Alma says, I have never as much, I have never so much as received one senine for my labors, despite all my travels. Mosiah, King Benjamin said the same thing. I don't, I don't get any money. I'm expected to, to earn my own keep. Now, he was probably a rich king, but, um, and I say rich, I don't know exactly what that means. He was, he was a king, but he was expected to uh, provide for his own. I don't think Alma was a rich king. Okay, but then in, uh, here's just a, a quote that I got from the Truth and Transparency or, Organization. It says, in accordance with approved procedures, the annual general conference General authority based living allowance has been increased from 116.4 to 120,000 per year. Now that's for the lowest level general authority. Okay. This is kind of petty. It, it just is, right? But I know a lot of people that would love a salary like that, myself included. And that's, that's very, very different from what we read. In Helaman 13, and that's very different from what we read from the words of Paul. And many of the general authorities that are higher up, they get big book deals. And uh, they're on a lot of executive boards. And they get, they get uh, dividends paid to them for being on these executive boards. And that's the wrong term. Um, but they get paid to be on these boards. They're not hurting. So there we have a discrepancy. That's my point. It is there's, the scriptures are telling me one thing, and I'm seeing other things. We've got to learn to discern. We're not going to read Genesis 14, 36 to 38. The, the wonderful thing that um, I learned from the Joseph Smith translation is, is it exposes the secret combinations. And in this case, one of the things it exposes is what, where the use of tithing should go. Abraham gave his tithes to Melchizedek. Why? It was all for the poor. That's what the scripture says. So it tells us that tithing should be used for the poor. And if any of you have read the book, um, Teaching, for Command Teaching for Doctrine, the Commandments of Men by Robert Smith, he points out that basically three quarters of 1% of all tithing donations go to help the poor. It doesn't make sense in, in my mind. You also know that we've got the big Enzyme Peak Fund, 130-something billion dollars. None of us would ever have to pay tithing again if we just, just by living off the, uh, the interest on that. We could do so much good. The, the, the poor shouldn't be paying tithing. They don't have tithing to pay. Yet they require it of them. And um, 
that's one of the things that they point out in Mormon 8, right? For your money, will we, will we uh, forgive your sins? Well, that's, is, that's kind of what we do in the church today. I mean, you, you can't get the full blessings of the temple unless you pay your tithing. And, and that makes me sad. That makes me sad. Um, let's just read, though, Mormon 8, because that's a, that's a good scripture. In fact, in scripture study with my family, that's what we read last night. Okay, so verse 28 through 38. Yea, it shall come, okay, and this is talking about the Book of Mormon coming forth and probably some other things coming forth. Yea, it shall come forth in a day when the power of God shall be denied and churches become defiled and lifted up in the pride of their hearts. Now, when we, we need to, we, we should cross-reference DNC 10, verses 67 and 68, just to define the word church. I know you know this already. But when we say the Lord, the word church, the Lord has a totally different meaning than what we consider the word church today. So Doctrine and Covenants 10, 67 says, Behold, this is my doctrine. Whosoever repenteth and cometh unto me, the same is my church. In other words, you can be part of an organization, but if you're not repenting and coming unto him, you're not part of the Lord's church. Right? And then verse 68, whoso declareth more or less than this, the same is not of me, or they're not part of my church, but is against me. Therefore, he is not of my church. So in order to be considered part of the church of the Lord, we need to be one who is constantly working to him. We need to be repenting. And I know there's other good definitions of the word church in scripture, but Oftentimes, they, they also use the word church as a congregation. So as we read this, we need to remember, it was Mormon that saw our day, and Moroni, I'm sure, saw our day as well. And I always get those two confused, or at least who's the one that made the statement, uh, I've seen your day. Can't, can't always remember which one that was. But uh, and we're going to read it later on, if we have time. But um, when he's talking about churches here, he's writing to the, the churches that he sees. And he sees the ones that have the Book of Mormon, which is us. So when it says the churches today, he means the wards. And of course, if the wards of the LDS church are, are out of line or having problems, then all the other churches will be too, because we've got more truth than the other churches. Okay. So continuing, yea, even a day in a day when the leaders of churches and, and teachers shall rise up in the pride of their hearts, even to the envying of them who belong to their churches. Yea, it shall come in a day when there shall be shall be heard of fires and tempests and vapors of smoke in foreign lands, wars, rumors of wars in verse 30, great pollutions, murders, robbing, lying, deceiving, whoredoms, whoring after other gods, for example. That's what idolatry is, anything we place in between us and the Lord, and all manner of abominations. And many who will say, do this or do that, and it mattereth not, for the Lord will uphold such at the last day. But woe unto such, 
for they are in the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. Yea, shall come in a day when there shall be churches or congregations or wards built up that shall say, Come unto me, and for your money shall you be forgiven of your sins. O ye wicked and perverse and stiff-necked people, why have ye built up churches and uh, yourselves unto yourselves to get gain? Why have ye transfigured the holy word of God that ye might bring damnation to your souls? Behold, ye look. And then he says, look to the scriptures, right? It's what he says. Behold, look ye to the revelations of God. Well, that means the scriptures. And what else does it mean? That your own personal revelations and inspiration. For behold, the time cometh at that day when all these things must be fulfilled. Behold, the Lord has shown unto me great and marvelous things concerning that which must shortly come. At that day when these things shall come forth among you, among you, LDS, LDS Gentiles, behold, I speak unto you as if you were present, and yet ye are not. But behold, Jesus Christ hath shown me you unto me, and I know your doing, and I know that you do walk in the pride of your hearts. And there are none, save a few only, who do not lift themselves up in the pride of their hearts unto Executions and all manner of iniquities, and your churches, yea, every one, have become polluted because of the pride of your hearts. For behold, ye do love money, and your substance, and your fine apparel, and the adorning of your churches, more than ye love the poor and the needy, the sick and the afflicted. Why do we have billions of dollars stored in an account gaining interest? We know that banks are going to fail. We're going to lose all that money anyways. We're not, you know, we can't reserve it to build up Zion. Oh, ye pollutions, ye hypocrites and teachers who sell yourselves for that which will, that which will canker. Why have ye polluted the holy church of God? Who else could he be talking about here? Who is, who is, who's the one candidate? <laughs> who could be the holy church of God? Why do ye not think that greater is the value of an endless happiness than, the, than that misery which never dies because of the praise of the world? Okay, let's move on. We've beat that one to death. All right, I got a couple quotes here from some authorities. Rasban said, this is fruit number two, prophetic revelation. People often ask me how to recognize a spirit. And I think the correct answer to that is, it precisely has not been revealed yet. Rasban continued, did you hear what I just said? Several leaders of the church over the year have opined or offered their opinion about that question but I wouldn't know where to turn unless someone could help me, maybe to a scripture or something that could give you an absolutely scriptural or doctrinal answer to that. Okay, how would Joseph Smith feel about that statement? It hasn't been revealed how to receive revelation. Now, look, revelation is difficult for me. There may be some of you that it comes easy for. It does not come easy for me. It is hard. It is darn hard. And I get frustrated. So I, I empathize with him here. Okay? But Joseph Smith, that guy knew how to receive revelation. Any true prophet, seer, and revelator should know how to receive revelation. Okay? Um, let me just look really quickly to DNC 107, 91, and 92. I don't know if we're going to read it or not. Yeah, I want to read this one. And again, the duty of the president of the office of the high priesthood is to preside over the whole church and to be like unto Moses. 
In other words, we should look to somebody like Mo a Moses to become the head of the church. They should be a high priest. You've all been taught, you know, Brigham Young was never ordained to the high priesthood. That's a problem. Now, verse 92, behold, here is wisdom. Yea, to be a seer, a revelator, a translator, and a prophet, having all the gifts of God, which he bestows upon the head of the church. So it doesn't mean that if you are voted in as the head of the church or the president of the church, then you get those things. The Lord gives them to you. It means those things are required for you to be the head of the church. Makes me sad. Another example of revelation. You all remember back in uh, November 2015, it was revealed and put into the handbook that uh, the children of gay parents could not be baptized. Right? That was a revelation from the Lord, according to several of the uh, apostles. And then three and a half years later, that was revoked. It was, it was a joke, I guess, from the Lord. I heard people say it was a test. It was a test of our faith to see if we would apostatize or not. Or, or not. That's not it. Okay? I don't really want to get into this one. This one's just got some... Uh, built-in things with, with homosexuality that I don't want to even deal with tonight. But one of the things that I would recommend you do is that uh, go look at the official declarations, one and two, when we um, revoked or, or got rid of polygamy, supposedly. Go look at when we, we uh, allowed blacks in the priesthood. Go look at the family of proclamation of the world and the living Christ, all those things that have come out. We haven't had, and if you read them, they will make hints at them that they are revelation, but there is no statement in any of them that says, thus saith the Lord. That's a problem to me. That's a problem. They say we, that we testify we, the apostles, testify that Jesus is the Christ. That's awesome. And that there's a place for that. Don't get me wrong. But man, if, if I'm going to sustain you as a, a prophet, seer, revelator, give me some thus saith the Lord. And I haven't heard that ever in conference. Okay, fruit number three, faith not to be healed. This one's tough too, because... I've seen some healings, some 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 small ones, but I don't I haven't seen yet what's in scripture. And that that hurts me because I want to see that, even if it's not me. I want someone to, to receive a miraculous healing, like I like I read in scriptures. But you you probably remember the talk in um, from Bednar. He asked a guy named John. In his talk, do you have, John, do you have the faith not to be healed? It is the will of our Heavenly Father that you're transferred by death into your, into your, uh, in your youth to the spirit world to continue your ministry. Do you have the faith to submit to his will and not be healed? I have, and again, I'm sorry, I have a problem with that. Um, because the scriptures, Doctrine and Covenants 84, and the, the apostles in the New Testament were granted 
all sorts of gifts of healing and casting out devils and raising the dead. That's what DNC 84 is all about. And, and those things will happen. Those miraculous things will happen in the latter days. I believe it. But I'm not seeing it right now. Um, if you haven't listened to the Radio Free Mormon episode on number 46 on the General Conference Death Mark, March, um, RFM gets a little anti-everything, quite honestly. And, and he's hard to listen to at times. But he talks about 11 different blessings of healing from general authorities, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I am mistaken there. But 11 experiences shared in general conference about blessings of healing. And guess what? Not a single person was healed and a majority of the people died. That's not what I read in the scriptures. Phil has talked lots about 3 Nephi 7, where Nephi, he, all he has is the Aaronic priesthood. And he's healing people, and he's raising the dead. And he tells us that it's by faith that you're healed. And Moroni says the same exact thing in Moroni 7. It's by faith. It's not by authority. It's by faith. Now, I think that authority may come into play in some way, but I don't know what that is. I'm not going to claim to know what that is. And then a few years later, another general authority, Hallstrom, redefined the word miracles to, to a way that's, to, to a definition that's totally different than scripture. He basically said, and I'll just summarize it. Let's, he's, and he didn't use the word redefine the word miracles or that phrase. He just said that, uh, you know, if we think of miracles as something a little bit different, like something unexpected that the Lord may have had his hand in, well, he may not have had his hand in. It may have been coincidence, right? Now, maybe the Lord did, but it's still not the same miracle that I read that the end time servants will have. And so it tells me that the words that they're saying, are or the they are not true prophets, seers, and revelators because they're not fulfilling scripture. Now, Dustin Smith, this is probably kind of hard to read, but I, I, I long for this day. Okay, I'm going to start at the top or, or the first full paragraph. Okay, it says, You need an endowment, brethren. This is Joseph Smith, in order that you may, I think it's Joseph Smith, I could be wrong. Uh, but this is History of the Church 2309, okay? You need an endowment, brethren, in order that you may be prepared and able to overcome all things. And those that reject your testimony will be damned. The sick will be healed and the lame made to walk, the deaf to hear and the blind to see through your instrumentality. But let me tell you that you will not have power after the endowment to heal those that have, that have not faith nor to benefit them. For you might as well expect to benefit a devil in hell as, as such as are possessed of his spirit and are willing to keep it. For they are habitations for devils and only fit for his society. But when you are endowed and prepared to preach the gospel to all nations, kindreds, and tongues, and, and we're not there yet, we haven't received that call yet, so we're not endowed yet. Okay? But uh, 
in their own languages, you must faithfully warn all and bind up the testimony and seal up the law, and the destroying angel will follow close at your heels and exercise his tremendous mission upon the children of disobedience and destroy the workers of iniquity, while the saints will be gathered out from among them and stand in holy places ready to meet the bridegroom when he comes. So I, I, I want to believe, and I read it in the scriptures in the Doctrine and Covenants also, there is a great endowment to come. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that is. But I, but I expect in some way we'll figure it out. And I certainly hope that I get the ability to heal someone. I know I don't have the faith to heal right now. I probably don't even have the faith to be healed right now. But I think there are some among us that do. And that's promising. So we look forward to that endowment. Okay, the, the, the next fruit, follow the prophet. Okay, what's interesting, March 1965, <clears throat> Elder Packer had a, a talk called Follow the Brethren. Would a true servant ever say that? Never. Never. The ones that I consider true servants today have never once said, follow me. Never once. Elder Ballard had a quote from his talk. Keep your eyes riveted on the first presidency and the quorum of the 12 apostles. We will not lead you astray. We cannot. It's just not true. And I just threw this one in for the fun of it. Believe it or not, Elder, Duke, Elder Uchtdorf had a talk called All is Well. If that doesn't harken back to 2 Nephi 28, holy smokes, I don't, I don't even know what to say at that. I just had to throw it in there. Now, I have part of Jeremiah 23, the New International Version, that I want to read to you. It's, it's just a few small excerpts. Okay, if you have not read that from the New International Version, not just Jeremiah 23, because Jeremiah 23 in the King James Version is good. But go to the New International Version, and it is spectacular. So if there is any question in your minds as to whether there could be a false prophet um, from within the church, this, this is awesome. What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people? My people? He's talking to Israel, right? He's talking to the, the Lord's people. That's us today. Okay, that's, that's the comparison. The shepherds of, shepherds of my people... For they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Verse 16, this is what the Lord of heaven's army say to his people. Do not listen to these prophets when they prophesy to you, filling you with futile hopes. They're making up everything they say. They don't speak for the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise my word, don't worry. The Lord says you will have peace. And to those who stubbornly following their, follow their own desires, they say, no harm will come your way. Right? Didn't we read the same thing in Helaman 13? A false prophet always gives soothing words. Verse 18, have any of these prophets been in the Lord's presence to hear what he's really saying? Now, the one thing I don't like about this, uh, the, the New International Version, 
is some of those key words. In the King James, Ver King James Version, it says, the counsel of the Lord. Okay? The counsel of the Lord is the, is the council that got together, planned out the, the new earth, and formed it. This is when the prophets were called to be prophets in the, in the world. They stood in the presence of the Lord in that council. And they said, stood in the presence of the Lord, like the New International Version sa says, in this life. Has even one of them cared enough to listen? Verse 21, I have not sent these prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me. I have given them no message, yet they go on prophesying. If they had stood before me in my presence and listened to me, they would have spoken my words, and they would have turned my people from their evil ways and deeds. How long will this go on? If they're prophets, they're prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. Verse 30, therefore, says the Lord, I am against these prophets who steal messages from each other and claim they are from me. Holy smokes, what did he just say? That's the vomit. That's Isaiah's vomit, right? They take words from past prophets, put it into a conference talk, and then make it their own words. I'm going to read that one again. Therefore, says the Lord, I'm against these prophets who steal messages from each other and claim they're from me. I am against these smooth-tongued prophets who say this prophecy is from the Lord. I am against these false prophets. Their, their imaginary dreams are flagrant lies that lead my people into sin. This is why we have to share this message to others. It's a terrible message. I did not send or appoint them. And they have no message at all for my people. I, the Lord, have spoken. Jeremiah, man, that guy was a true prophet for sure. Here's what Joseph Smith said. President, now this is a Nauvoo Relief Society minute book. It said, President Joseph Smith arose, read from the 14th chapter of Ezekiel, and, and said that the Lord had declared by the prophet, by Joseph, that the people should each one stand for himself, not rely on the prophet, right? And depend on no man in that state of corruption of the Jewish church, that righteous persons could only deliver their own souls. Then he applied it to the present state of the church of the Latter-day Saints. Basically saying, you're doing the same thing. Said that if the people departed from the Lord, they must fall. And they had already fallen, we know that to this point, but they fell even further and that they were depending on the prophet too heavily. And Joseph was a true prophet. And they were depending on him too heavily, and hence were darkening their minds from neglect of themselves. Okay, so we, when we compare what we're getting and from, from true scripture, they're not the same thing. Okay, fruit number five, the apostolic charge. Uchtdorf said, you do not need to see the Savior as the ancient apostles did to experience the same transformation. What does a true prophet do? Alma 13, I think it's like eight times. Well, let me back up. And we know that DNC 84 says that Moses attempted to get the people, to sanctify the people, to get them to enter the rest of the Lord, which rest is the fullness of his glory, right? To get the saints to enter into the presence of God or Christ. 
That's the message of a true prophet. It says that in Alma 13, that that's the reason why prophets are called, so that they can be the example to us, and then so that they can lead their people to do the same thing. And here, Uchtdorf is telling us, you don't need to see the Savior. And he's telling that to everyday members. What about, you know, what about uh, the 12? They should be seeing him. I mean, that's what it means to be an apostle. It means to be ordained and sent by Jesus Christ himself. Oaks said something similar. A question was asked in 2016 of him from a girl in the audience, and the question was, what should we pray for to receive this same testimony or conversion that Alma the Younger experienced? And his answer was, I don't think you're likely to have that kind of experience that Alma the Younger had. And then he said, I've never had an experience like that, and I don't know anyone from among the First Presidency or Quorum of the Twelve who've had that kind of experience. That's what it means to be an apostle, to stand in the presence of the Lord, have him ordain you, and then send you out, and you are then blessed with all those gifts, all those gifts of healing, raising people from the dead. So the apostolic charge, let's jump to that. Joseph Smith in Oliver Cowdery, we know, they said, this is our last testimony, the last testimony of all that we give of him, for we saw him. And he stood before us. That's not what I'm hearing today. Here's the commission that uh, Oliver Cowdery gave in 1835. This is summarized, uh, just the highlights. You ought to go find it and read the whole thing. And he's talking. This is, now remember this, 1835, the church has already fallen to a telestial level. And the new 12 that was just called, he's, Oliver's telling the new 12 this, says, you newly called apostles have been indebted to other men or the first labors in the last kingdom. Those who have seen him, those who have seen the Lord face to face, in the first instance, for evidence. Evidence of what? They've been in the Lord's presence. Now on that, on that evidence from those others, you have acted. But it is necessary that you receive a testimony from heaven for yourselves and that you, and that you have seen the face of God that is more than the testimony of an angel. When the proper time arrives, you shall be able to bear this testimony to the world. When you bear this testimony that you have seen God, this testimony God will never suffer to fall, but will bear you out. Although many will not give heed, yet others will. Never cease, cease striving until you have seen God face to face. Your ordination is not full and complete till God has laid his hand upon you. If the Savior in former days laid his hands upon his disciples, why not in the latter days? Therefore, call upon him in faith, in mighty prayer, till you prevail. For it is your duty and your privilege to bear such testimony for yourselves. He didn't mince words. It is a requirement to be a true apostle. Now, it may not, from this, I gather, that it may you may not start out as a true apostle but maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm interpreting wrong. But at some point, your ordination is not complete. You are not a true apostle until you have seen God face to face. Not what I'm seeing today. Joseph Fielding Smith, just like we changed the definitions of miracles, we also changed the definition of the 
apostolic charge. And it's been changed since this, since this again. Um, but he said, every member of the Council of the Twelve Apostles should have, and I feel sure have had, the knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This does not have to come by direct visitation of the Savior, but it, but it does come from the testimony of the Holy Ghost. The testimony of the Holy Ghost is the strongest testimony that can be given. It is better than a personal visit. That is not what Joseph said. That is not what Oliver said. That is not what happened in the Book of Mormon. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Okay, now we're getting close. We're getting close to the end here, or to the present, I should say. We all, we've mentioned it several times. I just want to read the first part of Christofferson's talk, how he has united the LDS church with the great and abominable church. In 2015, these are Christofferson's words, the United Nations adopted what was called the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. It was described as a shared blueprint for peace and prosperity for people and the planet, now and into the future. The Agenda for Sustainable Development includes 17 goals to be achieved by the year 2030, such as no poverty, zero hunger, quality education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation, and decent work, right? All that sounds wonderful. What a utopia. What's the problem? The problem is that we all know that the secret combination is a satanic organization. Their job is to force people to do and to enter their plan, Satan's plan, is to compel us to live a certain way. And we know that that's not the Lord's plan. So why in the world would Christofferson talk about the United Nations? Oh, maybe he doesn't know any better. Bull, he absolutely knows. He absolutely knows. He's been to all those meetings. He knows what goes on at those meetings. It's his job to know. And if, and if you're involved with experience and you know the scriptures, meaning if Christofferson has experience in life and he knows his scriptures, and he's praying every day for inspiration, just like we talked about our formula earlier. He should know better than to, than to conflate or to uh, make a comparison between um, the two accounts of such thriving societies, right? That's what he said. We have scripture, a scriptural record of at least two such thriving societies. And then he goes on to, to say that basically say, the city of Enoch and the Nephites after Christ's visit, they got there through a plan just like the United Nations. No, they did not. No, they did not. They got there. They weren't forced to do anything, right? They got there because they wanted. They were one. They were one in, in, in doctrine. They learned to be one in doctrine. They were of one heart and one mind. And because they were gathered out. I want to just reference a couple of scriptures that hint at what the United Nations is really trying to do. Isaiah tells us, this is the Gileadi translation, Isaiah 10, 13, and 14. And this is the end time tyrant, the Assyrian king speaking here. This is his plan. He says, I have done away with borders of nations. Okay, don't we hear that from our politicians? Aren't they all 
rooting for no borders. Everyone on the left is rooting for no borders of nations. I have ravaged their reserves. That could be their military reserves, financial reserves. I know that in the past we've had food reserves in our country. He's, he's going to ravage it. I have vastly reduced the inhabitants. That's genocide. That's depopulation. That's exactly what we read about with Bill Gates and every, everything else we read about on Telegram. Right? We see on the internet. That's the agenda of the United Nations. It's a hidden. They won't come out and say it, but that's what it is. I've impounded the wealth of peoples like a nest. In other words, communism strips people of all wealth. And I've gathered up the whole world in concentration camps, maybe, as one gathers abandoned eggs. Okay, Isaiah saw it. And again, this is Isaiah Gileadi translation, Isaiah 6.13. This is telling us how much genocide will occur. And while yet a tenth of the people remain in the land, that was my insertion, the land, or return, they shall be burned. But like the terebinth or the oak, when it is felled, whose stump remains alive, so shall the holy offspring be left what is standing. So only we can only expect 10% to remain standing in the end. The rest is going to get wiped out and burned. Oh, and I wanted to, you know what? I wanted to read that last scripture because, let's see. I think I can go back here. Yes. DNC 6423. Joseph Smith said the same exact thing. Behold, now is called today until the coming of the Son of Man. And verily, a day of sacrifice and a day, of, and a day for the tithing of my people. What in the world is he talking about? For he that is tithed shall not be burned at his coming. Now, you and I know that that's been preached over the pulpit. You pay your tithing, you'll abide the day in the second coming. That's not what he's saying. He's saying 90% of the people will be burned. Just like Isaiah just said, that's what he means by a tithing of his people. Then verse 24 says, for after today cometh the burning, this speaking after the manner of the Lord. Okay, so Christofferson's promoting the United Nations. Scriptures give us a different story again. Then we've got another example here, uniting with the Great and Abominable Church at a BYU address a couple months ago. Oak said, the shocking police-produced death of George Floyd in Minnesota last May was surely the trigger for these new matter. Of course, Black Lives Matter, Oak said. Okay, now I'm not saying that sentiment, Black Lives Matter, is a, is a terrible one because in, look, we can twist it and turn it any way we want, but uh, let's. the point here that I'm trying to make is we have united ourselves with the great and abominable church. What did Nephi say about that? 2 Nephi 
And blessed are the Gentiles, they of whom the prophet is written. We know who the Gentiles are. It's us. It's the LDS. So let's just make that correction. And blessed are the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they of whom the prophet is written. For behold, if it so be that they shall repent and fight not against Zion and do not unite themselves to that great and abominable church, they shall be saved. If he, if Nephi didn't see members of the LDS church uniting themselves with the great and abominable church, this would not be in the scriptures. But he did. And so he's warning us, do not unite yourselves with the great and abominable church, because some will be smarter than that. Fruit number seven, vaccinations and the mark. <clears throat> uh, it was it was said at a, a group meeting recently that when Nelson, President Nelson, met with the Pope, you guys all saw it. You've all seen the pictures. The Deseret News has them all over the place. And it shows the handshake between the President and the Pope. If you haven't seen it, go look it up in Deseret News. And it is not a normal handshake. It was a handshake of the Masons, the Illuminati. Breaks my heart, but it was. And it was a message. It was to message a message to everybody, to the Illuminati. It was a message to um, the whole world that we, the LDS Church, are on board. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. We're on board with the United Nations and the secret combinations. I, I, I breaks my heart. I don't. I, I don't know what else to say. And then a few days later, Nelson said in his online prayer, you know, with the whole church, as a man of faith, I view the current pandemic as only one of many ills that plague our world, including hate, civil unrest, racism, violence, dishonesty, and the lack of civility. And then he looks to skilled scientists. He says, skilled scientists and researchers who are all a part of Babylon, right, are laboring diligently to develop and distribute a vaccine against the coronavirus. The scriptures are telling us that the Latter-day Service will heal. Thank goodness. Hopefully, those around us that take the, that vaccine may be healed. I don't know if they will be or not. I think some of them... You know, maybe those that take the, the first dose can be healed. Maybe the first two, I don't know. But at some point, we're going to start seeing people wake up at a much more rapid rate. If you haven't read the talk <clears throat> on the bottom right hand of the screen here, what every Latter-day Saint should know about, all, about vaccines, it's a good one. It came out just within the last week or two. And uh, it's it's not it's a good one to uh, open help open the eyes of others, okay? Those that are still asleep, at least getting them thinking about the vaccine. We know that DNC one twelve says, "Upon my house shall it begin." And what's he talking about? He's talking about scourges. That could very well be the mark. Now, look, guys, I I assumed I. I talked about the mark of the beast in high school. It, now, not in my high school class, not seminary. This was like a, a history class. So I assumed everyone knew what the mark of the beast was. But when they start talking about requiring, you know, when the mark require, is required to 
you know, fly, to, to buy and sell, to, you know, run your business. And I'm seeing the parallel that if I don't have the vaccine, that I can't do those same things. I can't buy, I can't sell, I can't run a business, I can't, I can't do anything. I at least see a connection. I'm not saying that the vaccine is the mark. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think the mark is a spiritual mark. But I know the vaccine is related to it some way or another. Let's close up with a couple of scriptures. Um, Matthew 23, 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer them that are entering to go in. In other words, Christ saw the hypocritical Pharisees and Sadducees of his days and said, you guys, not only are you not going into the kingdom of heaven, but you're not allowing your followers to go in either. Okay, we've got to learn to discern. I'm going to skip past Joseph Smith Matthew, but he identifies that he says, we all know that the elect, even the very elect will be deceived in the last days, right? And Joseph clarifies that it's the elect according to the covenant. And the covenant is really focused on the LDS, those that have made covenants with, with the Lord. And I think other Christians have made covenants too. They talk about covenants. But my thought there is, the, the Lord is telling us that the, even the very elect will, will be deceived. And if, if the LDS think they're elect, then they better, better well, be darn well aware that they have great potential to be deceived. Just because you're, you're a member of an organization doesn't mean you're going to make it. What would be a discussion like this without reading Ether 8? These are the last two scriptures here, so... We're going to read Ether 8, 23, and 24, and then we're going to be done. All right, so we've got, who is it, Moroni, I think? Yeah, Moroni. Oh, maybe Mormon. I always get those two confused. Who's, who's speaking when? Because they kind of speak in each other's books. He's talking to the LDS Gentiles in the last days, right? And he's warning them, hey, your nation will be overcome with secret combinations. And then he says in verse 23, Wherefore, O ye Gentiles, it is wisdom in God that these things should be shown unto you, exposed, that thereby ye may repent of your sins and suffer not that these murderous combinations shall get above you, you specifically, you the LDS, which are built up to get power and gain and the work, yea, even the work of destruction come upon you, LDS. Yea, even the sword of the justice of the eternal God shall fall upon you to your overthrow and destruction, if ye shall suffer these things to be. Wherefore, the Lord commandeth you that when, not if, when these things, when ye shall see these things come among you, LDS, that ye shall awake to a sense of your awful situation. It hurts. This last scripture, I almost entitled the, uh, the entire discussion from this scripture. So DNC 6439, and then we're done. Let's start with uh, 38. For it shall come to pass that the inhabitants of Zion shall judge all things pertaining to Zion. 
So they'll, the inhabitants of Zion will be able to judge all things, one of them being what's coming up next. And liars and hypocrites shall be proved by them, and they who are not apostles and prophets shall be known. That's my favorite scripture on this topic. They who are not apostles and prophets shall be known. It's our, it's our responsibility. If we're waking up, it's our responsibility, scripturally speaking, to awaken others. It's not an easy conversation. In fact, it, get, it can get ugly. And it, it will divide parents from their children, probably spouses. It just is ugly. Now, this last slide that I have here is, uh, I just want to tell you a quick, quick story. Back in May, the Lord said, Rob, I got a, I got a little uh, project for you. I had, a, I had a really strong baptism of fire. I don't get those much. This one was really strong. And I said, oh, cool. Um, that sounds awesome. And uh, I asked, what is it? And he said, oh, I'll, I'll tell you later. Well, I had a dream, not a prophetic dream by any means. And in that dream, couple members of my family and I were making videos and I thought oh maybe that was how the Lord was telling me so I asked Heavenly Father do you want me to make videos bam the spirit hit me and I had a, a strong baptism of fire again this was that very night I woke up the next morning and said okay Heavenly Father I'm assuming that these videos ought to be on the doctrine of Christ is that correct boom hit me again this doesn't happen to me. This kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. Okay, it was a strong baptism of fire. Now, I don't show you this to plug my YouTube channel. You've probably maybe seen one or two videos, but if anyone um, wants to share some of these messages, even these hard ones with others, there might be a video in here you could share. Just so you know, I don't I don't get any money. There's, there's no monetization in this site. In fact, I barely even go to my own site. I just did it because the Lord asked me to. So if there's a topic on here that's a difficult one and you'd rather let the internet share that topic with your friend because you want to keep a friendly relationship with that friend, but you want them to at least consider something, use it as a resource. That's the only reason I put it on here. 